I've lived in New Jersey my entire life. I've been a fiction writer, actor, playwright, blogger, gourmet chef, home renovator, event planner, landscape architect, and decorator. Now, I'm married to a professional drummer who is also an award-winning photographer, so the arts have always been really important to me. There are so many people in New Jersey that are involved in the arts, and I am planning to talk to all of them. Well, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them. And I'm inviting you to listen in. I'm Lucille Sapio, talking arts and culture, and this is Hazlitt Coffee Talk. My next guest is Rosemary Conti, jazz singer, band leader, and so much more. Rosemary started performing at the age of four, but her career really blossomed in the early 1970s. Rosemary was truly a pioneer as one of the first female band leaders in the area. But Rosemary has never been content to just do one thing. So she filled her spare time as a writer, voice teacher, and recording artist, as well as a hypnotherapist. She's earned the respect and admiration of so many musicians for her talent, as well as for the help and advice she's given them through her organization and newsletter, All Music which was instrumental, if you'll pardon the pun, in helping them to navigate the difficult and sometimes treacherous waters of the music industry. Hello, Rosemary. Hello. Now, you have been a music icon in this area for years. A singer, a band leader, a booking agent, and an organizer of a 501c3 designed to help other musicians. And the mother of other fabulous musicians, your two sons who perform under the name of the Conti Brothers. Now, where did they get that name? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they've had several names for what, for their bands through the years. <laughs> they've been doing it a long time. And my third son, Jeff, is now playing. He's playing with an original band. So now I've got uh, a trio. How did your love of music influence them? I came from a, a musical family. My father was a a musician. He, he was a good singer, and he played uh, the string instruments, guitar, bass. I started singing at like four years old, being in shows and singing with my father's band, and that was just something that I took into my adult life. My adult life was all about music. I mean, it made my living that way, raising my four kids as a single mom, so <laughs> there was always all kinds of music in the house. Yeah, they had They had no choice but to be influenced by it right and so they started working with me when they were adolescents we started doing wedding ceremonies we would do guitar voice for wedding ceremonies and then as they got older they were part of my club date band because they knew all the top 40 we called it in those days Mm -hmm. and they they were going to college to to Rutgers they have uh, degrees in jazz performance but they're rock and rollers yeah. you know, <laughs> in their hearts, but quite unusual because they literally can play any kind of music, and that's kind of rare among young guitar players these yeah. days. Well, they're not that young anymore, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yes. No, but they were always that way, yeah. you know. Yeah. It, it was inescapable, the mm-hmm. music. Yeah. So most people would consider you mostly a jazz singer. Is that the way you'd like to be known and like to be remembered? Yes, yes, but I I had to work at and develop the technique to sing uh, other styles, too, so that I would never have to turn down a gig when the phone rang, mm-hmm. you know. So I had to be able to sing anything. And so they they kind of 
they helped me learn and I helped them learn things. Mm -hmm. So while they were learning jazz and standards of the Great American Songbook from working with me, I was learning pop and soft rock. So there was always this exchange going on, you know, which was pretty interesting. You have performed for many years and you probably have some interesting stories to tell about some other famous artists. Do you have any that you can share? I was talking recently about Stevie Wonder. Oh. I remember, I'm from upstate New York, Utica area, Syracuse, kind of up around there. And there's a, a place called Sylvan Beach. It was the go-to place in the summer for young people to go and dance to the bands that were playing there. Right. You know, they do the shag and the jitterbug, and, and it was a place to hang out. I was young. Maybe I was 15 or 16. I remember being there with my family. They would have tents set up along the, the beach. They didn't really have a boardwalk. And I walked by a tent, and there was a big banner in front of the tent that said, Little Stevie Wonder. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know that that was his original, the original yeah. name he performed under. Yeah, and uh, and I thought, oh, I had, I think I had heard about him then. Yeah, maybe fingertips. Uh, yeah, yeah, Little Stevie Wonder. And a few days later, my father took me with him to a meeting upstairs from a storefront in Utica. And he belonged to the Oneida County Jazz Society. So once every couple of weeks, the guys <laughs> would mm -hmm. get together and they would have jam sessions mm. at, at this meeting of the Jazz Society. And so my father took me and I would sing with them. And that was you know, a great experience for me. And one day I saw coming up the stairs a really little black kid and he was being led by somebody helping mm. him. Obviously, he was blind. And it was Stevie Wonder. <laughs> whoever... Did you get to sing with him? No, no. <laughs> that would but have been his, cool. His, whoever his handlers were at yeah. the time, uh, they, they probably said, hey, where's the action around here? You know, And yeah, somebody yeah. said, go to Utica upstairs from the whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and so they came up and they listened to the, the music. And he was just... You know, this little kid. Yeah. Yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. That's the most memorable yeah. star thing. Now, every artist has the benefit of social media to promote themselves. But that wasn't an option when you were performing. Oh, goodness. It's a whole different world. <laughs> yeah. How yeah. different do you think it is today for artists? Well, as, as far as uh, self-promotion, self mm. which... Any artist has to, to think about and do. Uh, a typical gig for me might have been uh, at, a, at a club or maybe a restaurant with a, with a trio. It was difficult, especially if it, it was a one single night. Mm. And it was hard to convince restaurateurs to, to do a whole that. weekend. Yeah. Or how about one night a week and you let the popularity grow? No, they think you're going. All the people who love you are going to come out on that same night, mm -hmm. <laughs> the same week. You know, I really had to promote it. Mm -hmm. I would make up announcements and I would address them by hand, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I would send them, paying a lot of postage to all the people on my mailing list, mm -hmm. and 
And then when I got paid for the night, uh, you there might, was, you might there was for, zero. Yeah, I was going to say zero. It, it might it might pay for the postage, right. maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was it was expensive to promote yourself. Yeah. And uh, and very time consuming. So artists today have social media to promote themselves. Yeah, it's easy. Mm-hmm. But they but in some ways it might make it harder for them. Do you think that there are ways that because there's so much social media and there's so much competition now mm-hmm. and so many fewer places to perform that they may actually have it harder? Well, yeah, there's more uh, more competition and people are motivated to do more so there's there's more activity vying for the very same crowds right and so yeah there's more entertainment because there can be and it can be promoted yeah but I don't see many drawbacks yeah I think it's much easier but you know you you can't convince younger artists of that because they weren't there (laughs) right back then back when I was growing up and it still takes work yeah it still you you were lucky if you got one of those little liners at the bottom of the front page in the Asbury Park Press right oh remember those (laughs) (gasps) who's playing this weekend you get the right get the press and you look for those little liners yeah yeah right Mm mm-hmm I know musicians who have gone to Berkeley School of Music and have been very successful. But how much value does a degree in music or music theory have for an artist today? It depends on the kind of career that one wants. If you're going to be a musician, you should learn about music. And if you're satisfied with being the the four-chord wonder, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and rock and roller... Yeah, but music's going to change, and as you grow, and uh, you're going to hear things that you want to play mm-hmm. and want to understand. And like anything, the more you know about it, the better you are. As a singer, I regret that I didn't have a better handle on the musicianship part of singing, because singers are musicians. Mm-hmm. We're the organic instruments, you know. And... I sang all my life, and I didn't. I didn't really need lessons to sing. You know, a lot of people are born with good instruments, mm-hmm. some extraordinary instruments, and just born to to sing, and influenced by listening to good singers. But if I had gone to to college, and if I was a music major, or if I had some other way learned to quickly read music. I could have been a studio singer. I had a few lessons uh, because I was concerned about uh, breathing correctly. correctly. Right. You know, I never even knew people went to college for music. I never knew that. Well, if you you think about it, yes, you can go to school for music now, but how are you ever going to pay back those loans? You're not going to pay them back being a musician. Oh, right. Yes. The music programs have been oversold, but... The people who love music and have an artist's soul, you know, you can't stop them. They're going to go wherever. They're going to learn as much about music as they can. They're going to play and perform as much as they can, but they're also going to have to be doing something else. And that's been, it's been that way for for (laughs) hundreds of years. Probably thousands. You know, (laughs) yeah. Now, in the past, most artists did not write their own music. They covered music Mm -hmm. written by someone else. Did you write your own music or were you inclined to just cover jazz standards? Uh, Well, in the beginning, 
I, I sang the typical jazz songs. And as I grew older, I began to write. Well, part of the problem was I didn't have the, the music theory and mm-hmm. the I didn't know the language of music so that I could write down what I could hear. Right. So I would perceive something in my mind, but I wanted to notate it so that other people could play with me. So that, that was a problem. Actually, I wrote a song for Frank Sinatra. Oh. But he never heard it. Oh. <laughs> you take your old back. <laughs> I take that back. I remember being at the kitchen table, and this idea came to me, and I heard a voice that said, write this down. So I wrote down the lyrics, and it just came, you know, and the melody came really fast. It's like a big dramatic song that needs an orchestra. Mm. And here I was feeling rather powerless because I had the inclination Mm. to create something, but I can't write it down. Right, right. Actually, my friend Brad Mandigo notated it for me. The, The lyrics were just so Sinatra. And it was called, I Never Dreamed of Having Nights Like This. And so this is a lament. Did you ever and record it? Yes, I did. I, did. I recorded it in, in New York. I have no idea what happened to the recording, but <laughs> it was tape, of course. So I never did get it to Frank. I had opportunities to, but he was my idol. And I heard so many stories about him. I mean, from people who really knew him. And I thought, you know, if I said this to Frank or if I take so-and-so up on the opportunity to meet him. I'm afraid he's going to look at me and say, get lost. He might really <laughs> disappoint never, you. Right, yeah. I never wanted to meet him. So I never got it to Frank, and Frank died. So I learned something recently that really amazed me. Back in the day, some of the American Federation of Musician locals wouldn't allow singers to join. Mm-hmm. Perhaps it wasn't a coincidence that most of the singers were women, but is it true that you actually had to register as a tambourine player in order to join the the union? Yeah, there was a special program that the unions would provide for musicians, and it was called the Musicians Performance Trust Fund. The locals had this fund, and they would pay local musicians to bring live music to uh, public schools, the beach, you know, they didn't pay much at all. We would have to sign this green sheet and indicate what instrument you played. I was the leader, but I had to sign the sheet as a maracas player <laughs> or a tambourine player because this is really a shame. They did not consider the singer a musician. Yeah. And it was just so That's demoralizing. It's, a, it's insulting. You know, it, yeah. it is. It was insulting. And I don't know if that's changed but you know that's that's how it was mm. and uh of course most of the singers were were females yes it it was uh it was tough it's it it's the kind of stuff that as women we've had to put up with our whole lives yes mm-hmm. <laughs> that was during the same period that i had i was publishing the all music magazine that was a companion to the all music organization that was helping musicians, Mm -hmm. helping them personally, professionally. The two locals that I belonged to, rather than supporting me and helping me, they were suspicious of me. Mm. 
they thought I was publishing this magazine and doing all this work to make money off of musicians. Yeah, like that's, was, that's, that's so funny, actually, make money off of musicians. Right. Actually, <laughs> I was doing gigs and paying my money to publish the magazine. Yeah. There was a lot of animosity. They, they didn't trust me. They thought I was taking advantage of the musicians. Mm -hmm. And my mailing list for this organization was probably, I don't know, a couple thousand mm. in the tri-state area. So somebody told the president of 802 in New York about Rosemary Conti. She's creating this com competing organization, a competing union for musicians. They were afraid of the competition. Oh, right, right. So I got a phone call from the president of the local of local 802 and he wanted me to come in, come into New York to the office and see me. And he offered me a job. I guess he figured, you know, if she's competing, why not offer her a job? That's what you do. And then uh, I said, no thanks. I'm more helpful to musicians with my organization and the magazine with yep. what I'm doing. It was an interesting time in my life where I needed support. And, and it wasn't there. So I've always had to grow my own support within myself and uh, not look to any anybody else yeah. to provide it you know now in addition to your musical talents you have also worked with contestants in the miss new jersey competition well what i remember most about that was working with uh, the producer who hired me and he he said to me Boy, you do a lot of different things. Too bad you were born female, he said. If you were a guy, people would call you a renaissance man. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I never forgot that. But did, did you face a lot of, was there a lot of sexual harassment? We're talking a lot of years ago, and I didn't think so then. But And, yes, there was, there was a lot of teasing. I remember one used to corner me in the coat room tease me and say, tell me suggestive things. You, you put up with it all. That's always been around. And it's always been tolerated. If I couldn't do a gig, I would refer somebody. And the first thing they would ask is, what's she look like? <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter what how she sings, but what does she look like? I never had anybody force themselves on me physically. Now, isn't, isn't it sad that that's like, oh, nobody forced themselves on me. That was a success. Like not like they treated yeah. me with respect. They acted yeah. like I was their equal. No, they they didn't rape me. So yeah. things were pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your advice on karaoke? You have to be aware of what key you sing a song in. Yeah. If you would find out what key is uh, most comfortable for you, and you can tell so. the DJ, you can get it to the right key. Right. Once in the right key, you would sound like a great singer. Yeah. So I've had karaoke singers come to me and for coaching. I will help them find what key is good for them. See, and that's what I can't figure out what my key is. I don't have perfect pitch, but if I had perfect pitch, I could just tell you what key you're in by telling you, yeah. sing this for me right now. I'll yeah. tell you what key you're in. Yeah. <laughs> no, otherwise I would need keyboard, the keyboard. Yeah. And well, I'm going to come over eat. someday and you're going to do yes. that for me. <laughs> uh, now, you mentioned perfect pitch. And I'm always confused about what that means. Does that mean you can hit exact notes, or does that mean you can hear the notes? Perfect pitch is an interesting phenomena. I don't know how to explain it. It's this very special gift 
that some people are born with, where they can just pick a note out of the air. I had a kid, <laughs> Jimmy uh, Lorowski. He had perfect pitch, a little kid. I would love it when he would come in for his voice lesson because I would play a chord, and he could tell me every note in the chord. Wow. Oh, he'd say, oh, that's a C, and that's a F, and that's a G, and that's a 7. He could name all the notes in the chord, just picking them out of the air. And then I would say, uh, you know, sing me a B flat. Uh, and he would sing yeah. it. So it's kind of like both ends of it, like hearing and reproducing. But I've learned that from people who have perfect pitch, that it's it's painful to play on an out-of-tune piano. Mm. I would think someone that has perfect pitch would definitely have to stay out of a karaoke bar. (laughs) So this is my last question. What do you want your epitaph to be? If I was a blues singer, my epitaph might be, I didn't wake up this morning. <laughs> but you're a jazz singer. <laughs> yeah, that, you got to think a little about that one. Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay, seriously, um, how about Renaissance Woman? Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for coming today, Thank Rosemary. Thank you. I love the arts, and I love to talk, and that's why I'm talking to local artists. And if you like listening, then subscribe to my podcast. You can do it on this page, on iTunes, or anywhere you get podcasts. I'm Lucille Sapio, and this is Hazlitt Coffee Talk. Mm-hmm.